You go down to your uncle at United Nations, don't you? It's only the second time I've ever asked you for anything. You look like the first time, got you? You don't mind, do you? No, I might even be able to turn you into a scientist. Don't go too far away, will you? And if you do, come back and see us sometimes. Save me a piece of wedding cake. Right. Thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Mac. And I'm Caleb. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And today, we are going to be watching The Green Death. The Green Death was written by Robert Sloman, directed by Michael Bryant, produced by Barry Letts, and aired May 19th. 1973 to June 23rd, 1973. <sighs> Show's doing one of the things it does best, which is, hey, you know, last episode was pretty good. I have high hopes. <laughs> and I know down that road leads nothing but disappointment and failure. But... Pain, suffering. <sighs> but I have high hopes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Let's, let's check in with you, Caleb. How are you feeling? I know we've been having kind of a rough time with the with the third Doctor. Yeah, we've been. It's been a rough go. It's been a little better the past couple episodes. Yeah, the third Doctor has just felt like a slog, and I think it's partly because the episodes haven't been very good, and they've been really long. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm kind of at a point right now where I'm just like, fuck. I kind of don't want to watch three hours of Doctor Who this week. Yeah, that's. That's fair. And I know that in every single one of our podcast episodes, I am holding a gun up to your head. I know that's part of our process, but like if you want to stop, we can. I won't. I won't be <laughs> offended. No, like let's let's keep plowing ahead uh, cuz like the fourth doctor is apparently really good. It's apparently everyone's favorite. Yeah. Uh, it is also apparently the death of six episodes that will also be very good. <laughs> yes, we are we are coming to the six episodes being a much more of a rarity rather than the rule. I have soon. I have noticed that on average I enjoy four episodes more, and they're a lot more tolerable for me to watch. I don't know why. I don't know what the psychology is between two hours and three hours, but <laughs> I don't know. I I will say this that like even if you just like come to me one day and be like Mac. I don't think I can do this anymore. And we do decide to stop the podcast. I will then immediately afterwards being like, hey, you want to watch New Who with me? (laughs) (laughs) And then we'll just skip ahead. (laughs) And like, it doesn't even have to be related to the podcast, but like, I don't know. Like, uh, I I think you'd enjoy it. And I genuinely believe that. (laughs) (laughs) But first I want you to get what? 26 years of context. And, you know, you don't have to have that context. (laughs) Most people don't when they watch it. But I thought it'd be funny. (laughs) (laughs) It has been something. (laughs) But on that note, Caleb, 
uh, given everything you know about Doctor Who and given the ending of the last episode and given the title of this one, The Green Death, what do you think this episode's going to be about? Your hint for last time was that it's an environmentalist episode, mm-hmm. so I'm going to guess that... They, we do go back to Earth, the Doctor does not get the time right, and we're in the far-flung future of the 1990s, where pollution has run rampant, and the, the pollution and the uh, nuclear waste have coalesced and formed sentience, and it becomes a personification of pollution, and becomes an eco-terrorist. Have you seen Toxic Avenger? <laughs> Basically that. <laughs> Mac literally just walked out of the room. <laughs> they have returned. You're not too far off. <laughs> <laughs> Basically toxic adventure. I mean, it's an environmentalist message, so... And it's the 1970s, so... Anti-nuclear waste is probably a, a safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose on that note, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. And we're back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was 12 days for us. Listen, it's not one to one, but it's one to two. And that does still make my brain happy. So I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just got to be even increments. We can't do this like four episodes in seven days bullshit. See, I know you're joking, but you're right. (laughs) (laughs) So listen, I don't want to, I don't want to alarm anyone. But Caleb just shared with me uh, a foundation-shaking uh, revelation right before this. Guys, he liked this episode. I know, it was an actual shocker. <laughs> <laughs> You're more surprised than any of us. <laughs> <laughs> I am the most surprised. I was sitting there watching, I was like, God, I'm actually kind of into this. <laughs> I really like this episode, too. It uh, cracked my top five. Just it was between that and Planet of the Daleks, and I decided to do this one because it felt more evenly spaced over the course of the story, whereas Planet of the Daleks felt very front heavy. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think uh, I'll have to go back because fuck, I can't even tell you five episodes in this <laughs> Doctor. I think at right the second, but I feel like this is my favorite story. Oh yeah thus far for this doctor i'm looking forward to the doctor is out for john pertwee just because i i genuinely have no fucking clue what your top and bottom five are going to be yeah i also genuinely have no fucking idea i can tell you that this is in it towards the top probably number one uh do you know what your top one was before this was it three doctors it was probably the three doctors. So okay. as either that or Plant of the Daleks. And those are the three episodes that I would say I definitively liked. And then everything else was like, I like, but. Yeah, there's, there's got to be something. There's got to be something you actually liked. There's a, Yeah, we'll have to go through. Because I'm like, when I think about it, I'm like, what episodes did I like in this Doctor? And I think, well... That part in Ambassadors of Death, when, like, they're walking down the road and they set that stuff on fire, that was pretty cool. 
what the fuck was that story about? Yeah, this is kind of the biggest issue with the third Doctor in general. And I know we've talked about this before. We'll probably talk about it again. Definitely in Doctor's Out. But the biggest issue with the third Doctor is that because it's it's all unit on Earth and the Master is the villain more often than not, it kind of blends together. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Even though, like, it's not really doing it as much now, but in the first half of this Doctor, fuck, we need to say this for Doctor's Out, but I really enjoyed the premise of that because I loved the incremental progression of the Doctor working on the TARDIS mm-hmm. through the stories. The stories just kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but we're not talking about the third Doctor in general. We're talking about the Green Death. And before we get started, I do have some post-view notes. This is the departure of Katie Manning as Joe Grant. This is also the first uh, appearance of Metabilis 3. The first appearance? That's something you didn't expect to come <laughs> back, is it? <laughs> Not even a little. <laughs> yeah, I know. Damn. <laughs> yes, Metabilis 3 does make a, reappear- uh, a reappearance at some point. But yeah, I, I also enjoyed this episode and I'm looking forward to uh, talking about it. So why don't you go ahead and take us away? Just diving right into episode one? Yeah. Yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. Episode one. The episode opens outside some sort of plant, and a businessman explains that the new oil drilling will bring wealth to this small town. The event is protested by an environmentalist named Dr. Jones. The event is interrupted when a miner is found dead and glowing green. Upon hearing the news, Joe decides that she has to race to Wales and join the professor in his protests. The doctor refuses to go along and goes on a hellish trip on the TARDIS by himself. Joe meets the professor and they talk about mushrooms and pollution and stuff. She decides that she needs to go down into the mine to find what the company is hiding and what killed that miner. The doctor returns from his TARDIS trip and agrees to look at the mine. However, he arrives too late to stop Joe from heading down without him. The name of this company that is the big focal point of this story is called Global Chemicals. Uh, And that is one of those evil corporation names like Gentech. <laughs> like, nothing good comes from global chemicals, okay? <laughs> it's even got this, like, fucking sinister G symbol. <laughs> yeah, like... It sort of looks like a fucking knockoff Umbrella core. That's obviously came out way before Resident Evil, but... The set designer was like, I need a Bond-style evil company. And the set designer was like, say no more. Immediately, we'll, we'll, we'll start off, I'll say it. I will... Almost certainly enjoy any story where the company is the bad guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that that goes without saying. I do appreciate how uh, the CEO of Global Chemicals is trying to put down the riot by telling them that coal is a dying industry. Uh, he tells them this in 1973. <laughs> yeah, and that's what's thing about this episode, I think, is like Joe and Dr. Jones go on like big long monologues about pollution and the dangers of oil production and how it's destroying the environment. Like, wow, we didn't change anything, did we? You know, 50 years later, we're starting to think about getting around to maybe doing something about it. Like, you know, we've got paper straws now. So like, we're on our way. (laughs) Yeah, listen, we basically solved the problem. Yeah, yeah, totally. Some people carpool. Um, some people recycle. Uh, uh, t- Tesla? Tesla? <laughs> Tesla exists. Tesla's it's... also got an evil logo. 
Tesla's also got an evil logo. It really does. And is also run by a Bond villain. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know. So, you know. We're doing great here 50 years later. Really learned our lesson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like how the doctor is seems less of a, a scientific advisor of unit and more of just like units a place he can park his car while he's in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like your buddy that you don't really want to hang out with, but his apartment is close to all the places you actually want to go to. So like you kind of have to say hi before you go to the bars because like I mean, it's rude otherwise, and they're not going to let you use their, their parking spot. So, like, uh, yeah, all right, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Max, speaking from experience, it sounds like. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I uh, I do also appreciate that the Brigadier came with, uh, with a new job for the Doctor and uh, says that uh, it's in Wales. And the Doctor seemed legitimately disgusted by the idea of going to Wales. <laughs> uh yeah honestly the whole first scene with joe and the brigadier and the doctor is great it's like the it's all their chemistry at a high yeah the doctor and wants to go to the planet metabilis 3 because it's way more exciting than this fucking earth shit joe wants to wants to stay and go help in wales and then the brigadier wants both of them to come with him and joe doesn't realize that it's the same place that she's going it's is is a fun little scene it's a fun little scene i especially like the part where like joe's like reading the newspaper about the fucking minor mine being shut down and the guy being dead and she's like reading it to the doctor but he's like responding but talking about something about the tardis yeah and then at the end of the conversation they're like ready to go the doctor's ready to go in the tardis and she's ready to leave for wales and both of them are like what the fuck were you listening to anything i was saying <laughs> what are you talking about what are you talking about I like that. Yeah, me too. I do also like that um, we're kind of setting up Joe's departure a little bit early in the story because, like, she wants to fight to protect Earth. And, like, she's, like, starting to have reasons to actually fucking stay. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Doctor's just like, uh-huh. Yeah, totally. No, and, like, this is, I, I didn't know. I didn't read ahead or anything. But, but at this point, I was like, hmm. Is this Joe's exit? And then the more the more things happen, I was like, this is definitely Joe's exit. Yeah, yeah. Joe and the Brigadier go off to go off to Wales, and the Doctor travels alone for the first time, and he goes to Metabilis Three, the land of eternal blue filters, <laughs> and just has a doozy of a time. He. <laughs> He gets fucking spears thrown at him. A giant bird tries to pick him up, uh, pick him up off the ground. He's fucking rock climbing and uh, trying to excavate a crystal while just getting torn to shreds by the by the rapid winds. And I kind of appreciate that the first time we really see the Doctor traveling alone, you get a sense of just how fucking miserable he is doing it by himself. Yeah, because. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, when he first appears, when he first arrives, doesn't he, like, turn to say something to Joe, and then, like, she's not there, he's like, oh, right. Yeah, he, like, turns back to the TARDIS. Right. And then he turns back and invents tentacle-born again. (laughs) Yeah. He does that a lot, and he probably feels so off-put because 
this is probably the longest time we've seen the doctor on screen without him saying anything. So he's like, I can't, I can't monologue or show off to anyone. This is awful. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because at the, at the end of the episode, when he finally gets back, uh, the brigadier <laughs> is calling him and he answers the phone and he goes, I'll talk to anyone. I'll talk to anyone. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a really funny scene. <laughs> Also, my cat has the zoomies, so if you hear some some bell jingling, it's just her running back and forth in my tiny, tiny apartment. And on the flip side, I like that when Joe first meets Professor Jones, it kind of mirrors her first meeting with the doctor, kind of setting up some more foreshadowing. Because, like, he's doing an experiment, and then she accidentally does something to screw it up, which is exactly how... The Doctor and Joe met. And, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was, it was nice to touch. Yeah, I like it because there were very clear parallels between Cliff and the Doctor. Yeah. I like that, which also gives me the sense that, like, Joe wanted to fuck the Doctor a little bit. There was some romantic tension in this story between Joe and the Doctor. Yeah. It was, uh, weird. <laughs> it It was weird. I like the contrast of, like, you know, her falling for basically a younger version of the Doctor, at least in yeah. her mind. And he was basically written to be that, too. They wrote Professor Jones to basically be, like, a young version of the Doctor because they could not conceive of any reason Joe would want to leave the Doctor other than to hang out with someone who's just like the Doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like the Doctor, but I can fuck him. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> the doctor, but fuckable. And then the brigadier gets to Wales and is uh, talking with Global Chemicals. And brigadier very quickly is just like, well, before he leaves, he's like, I can handle this without the doctor. And then he gets there and is discussing stuff. He's like, no, no, fuck that. This is outside my pay grade. Get, the, get me the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Yes. Yeah, so it sounds like sciencey stuff that I cannot blow up immediately. Get the doctor. <laughs> Surprise. The brigadier does try to blow it up. Yeah. Yeah. Spends uh, basically the whole story doing that actually. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I, we've mentioned this before on the show. It's one of my favorite editing tricks where like a conversation is happening one place and on another place and it's like they're talking about the same thing and almost like they're responding to each other without actually responding to each other and it's like a debate about environmentalism Mm -hmm. between leader of global chemicals stevens and professor jones and it's just like a really cool back and forth between joe and jones and brigadier and stevens oh i totally agree all in all like and like and this means nothing really because i feel like all of the stories have good first episodes most of them do yeah but this is a really good first episode yeah no it's very strong yeah it sets up a lot of stuff everybody is very well written and in character which is always appreciated mm-hmm. and it sets up enough intrigue of how specifically global chemicals wants to rule slash destroy the world I make the note, I don't remember specifically what scene this is, but it honestly could... Oh, it was when all the miners were together and talking about their uh, their working additions, uh, and they were all back and forth talking about how shitty the mine is, and um, 
and how even shittier Global Chemicals is because they're shutting down the mine. Uh, and my note is this is probably the most coherent a group of Welsh people have ever been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because even then I was watching it and I was like, God, I'm so glad I have subtitles on. I have no fucking idea what these people are saying. <laughs> yeah. Welsh is like is kind of like Scottish or like Jamaican where like you can understand what they're saying but if you get like a group of them together and they're all talking in their accents back and forth you'll lose it you you'll completely lose the conversation <laughs> at some point and you just have to give up <laughs> um and then we meet Bert the most l- lovable Welshman we do ever. meet Bert yeah he helps Joe go down the mine. And yeah, I don't know if I have anything else to say. Have we ta- have we touched everything in, in this episode? Not Bert, but the other Welshman, the one that's like at the controls of the of the mine shaft or the elevator. He's not the same actor who plays Evans the driver from Web of Fear, but he looks just like him enough that I had to check. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was the same actor. It wasn't, but I thought it was. And then uh, I also had the note. So global, the Global Chemicals CEO has like this machine that kind of like controls people's minds. But in order for it to do it, he has to put on like these big, doofy, what genuinely look like two red Solo cups that have been painted silver um, headphones <laughs> Yeah, on a person. And I, uh, at one point... I forget whether he puts it on someone or he puts it on himself. I think on this, he puts it on himself. Yeah, he, he just puts it on himself. And uh, I just wrote down, he's just listening to ASMR. Don't mind him. <laughs> yeah, my thought was like, man, audiophiles, I love those headphones. <laughs> <laughs> they probably sound great. Uh, but yeah, that's that's all I got for this episode. Boom, episode two. The doctor tries to stop the lift, but Joe and Bert are still trapped at the bottom. Joe spends this whole episode walking down the hallway and doing nothing else. The doctor and the brigadier go back and forth trying to get global chemicals to hand over some equipment to fix the lift, but they are being cagey about it. They end up getting the cutting equipment from somewhere else and the doctor and some miners head down the shaft. The doctor catches up with Joe and they both discover a cave full of giant maggots. A caveman prevents them from going back the way they came and more maggots appear out of the rubble. Of all the episodes in this story, I think this is one's probably the slowest most uneventful. Yeah, I mean, like they, they really do spend the whole episode trying to get this fucking kind equipment to get down to the mine. Yeah. But despite that, I still felt like it was pretty watchable. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I do think it's pretty evenly paced throughout the story, but if I had to pick one area where it did kind of drag, episode two was kind of it. Yeah. One thing that I noticed, kind of noticed it last episode, definitely noticed it this episode, and definitely noticed it more in later episodes, but... It feels like they use the green screen more than they need to when they could have done practical effects or shots. It's not this episode, but there was, I think it's episode four, like the Brigadier and Benton are outside looking at something. They have a microscope and they have like uh, binoculars. Yeah. And it's fucking green screen. I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> and like every anytime someone goes down the elevator, they have like a green screen and, and like they're like pretending like they're going down an elevator. It felt weird. I'm not entirely sure why. Like, they just seriously not have like a like a service elevator that you could have used like in someone's someone's office building or something. I feel like you probably could have. 
And uh, there's like a couple shots later where they're in a car. And I'm like, you've done car side shots before, though. I don't know why you're not doing it now. Yeah. Oh, one thing I was going to note, this is totally unrelated to what you were just saying. But uh, speaking of that green screen elevator, God, women in the 1970s acting had a rough uh, you basically just had to accept that every man you were going to be in a scene with was going to manhandle you to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, they're riding in the elevator, and, like, it, it gets all bumpy and shaky, and then Bert, like, wraps his arm around Joe's waist, and then basically, like, suplexes her to the ground. <laughs> yeah. And then spends the rest of the time, like, grabbing her hand and putting his hand on her shoulder. I'm like, God, fuck. Wasn't great. This is the only episode where I really noticed that. Um... For Joe specifically. But yeah, but just my two cents on it. Wow. Yeah, well, the mutants just came up, just uh, went out recently, and I was reminded of the part near the very end where um, they needed to help Miss Grant up the ladder. I'm like, you don't need to, actually. You really don't need to. You can just (laughs) have her go up the ladder. It's good to see John Pertwee's stunt double doing some work. Yeah. Yeah, because he's trying to sneak in the global chemicals to steal his kind of equipment, and uh, he has to do some Venusian Aikido on four guards, and the, every cut has to be really far away when he flips someone away, because yeah. someone in a very unconvincing wig is doing the work. Yeah, the wig was way too many uh, shades dark for for John Pertwee. I don't know, maybe he's just getting on in years or something, but like he usually does his own stunts, so I was kind of weirded out, but eh, whatever. As long as the stunt double gets some gets some paid work, it's fine. Uh, Caleb, quick question, because this is an issue that uh, keeps coming up. Why do people keep trying to touch Green Ooze? I don't. Oh my god, I was so angry about it. Green Ooze appears out of out of the wall or like on someone or something, and f- f- fucking first instinct, I guess, is to is just stick your goddamn hand in it, and then I'm assuming just like Winnie the Pooh style, try to eat it. These fucking Welshmen, let me tell you, man. But like, God damn but it. I, I remember in Inferno, like, half the problems of Inferno wouldn't have happened if people just didn't touch green ooze. Because, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because, like, um, Joe and Bert are in the shaft and they, fi- they find this dripping green ooze after they had just found another dead guy glowing green. And Bert's like, oh, what's that? And just sticks his fingers in it. He's like, oh, it burns. It's like... What the fuck did you think was going to happen? Nothing good. And then the doctor and what's-his-fuck go go down into the shaft. And at the exact same spot, what's-his-fuck is like, oh, what's that? And tries to poke it. And the doctor is just like, no, stop. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> this is why you keep dying. <laughs> this is why I'm constantly having to save you monkeys. <laughs> and then my... Uh, my last note of this episode is, oh no, worms. Yeah, gross worms. My note was like, sweet bugs. I, I, lo- I love gross bug monsters. Except for spiders. Okay, so um, an issue I kind of have in this story a lot is that they're just kind of big fat worms. And like, I get that they have teeth and they're like, shh. Like, I get that. But you, you can kick them. You can kick them. You can step over them. People are acting a lot more intimidated than they should be. I get that they're bulletproof and they're like fireproof and definitely an issue that needs to be dealt with. You can just step over them. 
<laughs> I understand Joe's reaction initially in the cave because, like, yeah. oh, they're gross and I have nowhere to go. Yeah, they're gross and everywhere. I get that. It's more later scenes that I'm like, you can just, you can just go around them. <laughs> yeah, just not go over there. When the maggot squirms out of the rubble and it leans him and does this little hiss thing, I was like, it's Tremors, baby. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I fucking love Tremors. Tremors is one of those movies that I've always wanted to see, but never oh my actually God. done it. All right, someday Mac and I will do a podcast about movies they haven't seen. I think that I think that would be a good podcast, honestly. Yeah, I know. Oh, Tremors is so bad. It's such a bad movie. It's awesome. I I've <laughs> definitely heard it's one of those so bad it's good. It's one of those cult classic movies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this had Tremors vibes. I would not be surprised if the guy who made Tremors watched this. As... <laughs> Boy, how do I got nothing else to say? Yeah, Ep- episode three. Episode three. I feel like we're moving really fast. Yeah. The Doctor and Joe rig a cart to ride through the swarm of maggots and make their way up a pipe into global chemicals. The Doctor grabs a giant egg as they escape. Stevens, the CEO of the company, is brainwashing employees with a weird pair of headphones. Elgin, one of the employees at Global Chemicals, saves the two from being drowned in the pipe and helps them escape. The Brigadier tries to strong-arm Stevens, but eventually cedes command to him at the demands of the Prime Minister. Back at the Nut Hutch, Joe is growing closer with Dr. Jones. The Doctor pulls the man away, and the egg he brought hatches a maggot which slinks towards Joe as the episode ends. At one point I say gross and bad green screen. I think this is when they're, like, canoeing their way through, like... Yeah. Is Is it a sewer pipe? Is it a sewage? It's like a waste pipe, isn't it? Yeah, it's some sort of waste, waste pipe that's connected waste runoff. to the company. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Brigadier and Stevens are having this um, this dick measuring competition of like who has higher ranking friends that will be able to ruin another person's life. This scene drove me fucking crazy. Stevens' threats are so non-threatening and British. Okay, so... Brigadier is threatening to uh, shut the whole thing down because of all these deaths and these allegations and stuff. And Stevens says, I would point out a certain risk. Should it be thought that we are in any way connected with these deaths, my whole project might be closed down. Yeah. Yeah. That's... That's the point. <laughs> Good job. And uh, then this exchange happens, and God fucking damn it. I look. I don't want to say I hate the British, but <laughs> I do. Um, it's this back and forth between Stevens and the Brigadier. Brigadier, I advise you to be careful, very careful indeed. Are you threatening me, Mister Stevens? Yes, I think perhaps I am. You guys need to learn how to threaten better, because that that was nothing. That was fucking nothing. You haven't had a threat until you've got an American threat. Around <laughs> <laughs> these parts, we know how to threaten people proper. I don't know, like, be a little bit more specific more than just, hmm. I am rather annoyed, Brigadier. You wouldn't like me when I'm rather annoyed. No, I absolutely agree. I fucking hated these scenes between Stevens and the Brigadier. Which reminds me of something else that happened in episode 2 when, uh... The Brigadier was trying to talk to Global Chemicals about getting the kind equipment, and they're like, uh, no, fuck off. So the Brigadier does, and they're back at Jones's house, and he's like, I couldn't get the equipment. And Jones was like, well, you should have insisted. 
ah, yes, of course. I should have insisted. Why of didn't I think of course. that? Why didn't I ask to see the manager? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Fucking British people. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, no, we love you, British listeners. It's just... Mm. <laughs> we love you it reminded me of carnival of monsters when they turned up the aggression and they're like i say i will have to show my fisticuffs and we will <laughs> follow these specific guidelines I'm like just fucking take your gun and shoot them. <laughs> i know that's the american in me coming out but god damn <laughs> we love you british listeners we just find your sense of formality confusing and dumb <laughs> This is also the episode where the Brigadier's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to shut it down. I have friends in high places. And Stevens is like, me too. Calls the Brigadier's boss and is like, hey, tell the Brigadier to do whatever I say. And the Brigadier gets the phone, argues for a second. He's like, well, even though I know this is morally wrong and the company is obviously trying to cover something up, I I am a soldier. I will do the company's bidding. Well, yeah, it's because it's not just his boss that like is saying this because the brigadier does kind of put up a fight when it's his boss but when his boss hands the phone over to the prime minister the brigadier is kind of like fine <laughs> i guess but I, I don't know maybe maybe i have no ethics maybe i have no sense of duty but i don't know it also requires a relative amount of respect for the leader of your country. I haven't felt that ever. So, <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> we're Americans. We don't know what that is. <laughs> we're we're not the best to relate to this, I guess. You British people and your sense of duty to your elected officials. It's Ugh. very strange. Gross. Although I will say Nicholas Courtney is doing the Lord's work and actually waiting for the other person on the other end of the phone to say something before he says his next line. Thank you, Nicholas yeah. Courtney. I salute you. You almost had me convinced you were on the phone. Okay, so, don't remember his name. Pencil stash guy. He saves Joe and the doctor from the pipe. And then, uh, because one of the one of the workers was trying to keep them down in the pipe, but, pen- but Pencil Stash managed to kind of, like, get him to move out of the way. And hypnotized guy, like, gave him like pointed out how to stop the pipe like but he was clearly being pain he was clearly pained while he was doing it um and then hypnotized guy goes into stevens's office and stevens tries to reinforce the hypnosis and get him to follow orders but it's not taking he's still not he's still questioning his orders now and so stevens does the only logical thing and uh hypnotizes him again to throw himself off the building and commit suicide. Which, two things. One, you can't hypnotize him to get him to follow orders, but you can hypnotize him enough to throw himself off the building. Two, that's fucking dark. (laughs) (laughs) Max shocked by how dark it is. I'm like, eh, it wasn't subtle enough. It's drawing too much attention. He should have gone home and killed himself. <laughs> should have pulled a death note and just like, by the way, <laughs> I'm Kira. <laughs> Turns around and goes home to kill himself. But then, fucking emotional whiplash. Because the doctor and the brigadier, I think, watch this man commit suicide. And they're like, oh my god. 
hard cut to the nut hutch where everyone's having dinner and laughing and having a great time while while sharing some drinks. I'm like, did we <laughs> skip a scene? I feel <laughs> I'm getting some whiplash here and I don't know. I feel like there should have been some sort of transition there. Yeah, we didn't know that guy and he was bald, so who cares? Uh, and then the doctor apparently has a phone call during the party and then the party continues with uh, with Jones and Joe and uh, the brigadier, and then the doctor comes back in and says, "Bert is dead." And like, no, Bert. Like, okay, what tone are we going for here? Because <laughs> you know, Joe kind of got to know Bert a little bit while they were trapped down in the caves, and uh, she's grieving because Bert was such a was such a sweet man, and Jones is is consoling her in her time of need. And my note here is. If he kisses her while she's grieving, I'm gonna god fucking damn it! <laughs> <laughs> like, I knew it was gonna happen. Because, you know, she's emotionally vulnerable or whatever. But also, she's emotionally vulnerable. Give her a day before you try to make a move. Fuck, dude. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I like the chemistry between Joe and Cliff. Some of the scenes are weird. <laughs> Some of the scenes are really weird. They do have good chemistry. Of all the bizarrely horny men that Joe has met in her travels that have fallen in love with her, this one seems the most believable. Mm-hmm. So I'll give the story points there. Uh, I might have to take a couple of those points back by the end of this story, <laughs> but we'll get there when we get there. And I do kind of like how the doctor kind of walks in on them. The doctor and the brigadier kind of walk in on them. And the doctor is just like, is like, um, Professor Jones, there was something I, I, uh, what is your opinion on over here, away from Joe? It's just like, there's a bizarrely jealous feel from the doctor. Yeah, I kind of liked it because... Because I didn't read it as like sexual tension per se, no. but like, but 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 a jealousy in the sense of like he can see Joe kind of drifting away from because he got that yeah. sense at the beginning of the story. Yeah, most of definitely. her just not wanting to go on the TARDIS. So yeah. I like that internal struggle for the Doctor. Yeah, because you know, over the course of the time Joe has been in the TARDIS, you definitely see the two of them getting a lot closer, and like he putting, he's putting his trust in her a lot by the by the mm-hmm. end of it. Honestly, the Doctor and Joe is probably one of my favorite companion relationships. If I'm going to be perfectly honest, but we'll get to that one. We'll get to that at the end of this with <laughs> with uh, Goodbye, My Dear. And then, you know, the the little worm breaks out of its egg and is uh, scooching his way towards Joe. And like the camera is like a POV shot from the worm and is like coming up on Joe while she's like reading a book. And I was really hoping that the solution to the cliffhanger was going to be her just, like, turning around and going, huh, and then squashing it with the book. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what happens. The actual uh, solution to the cliffhanger is a lot stupider. Yeah, very bizarre, actually. Fuck, there was something I was going to say, and I can't remember for the life of me what it was. Uh, Dr. Jones, or Professor Jones and Joe, uh, the Doctor's jealousy, the worm, grieving, dinner party. I'll remember eventually. Okay. It'll come to me. Okay. At, at the strangest time, I guarantee it. So, <laughs> episode four. Hinks, a goon for Stevens, sneaks into the room and is killed by the maggot. It escapes before anyone can catch it. The brigadier is ordered to blow up the mine, and he argues with the doctor about it. 
He has ordered Captain Yates to infiltrate Global Chemicals as a representative to get information, though. The Doctor dresses as a milkman and a cleaning lady to infiltrate the company and do his own snooping. Joe and Cliff argue a bit after some samples are spilled and contaminated. She decides to help him out by going and getting a fresh maggot for testing. Too bad the maggot fields are going to be blown up in a few minutes. The Doctor gets the information he needs to get to the top floor where he meets Boss, the supercomputer actually running the company. So when I say that the solution to this cliffhanger is really stupid, what I mean is this brute guy who's clearly been like Steven's muscle up to this point was given the job of going over to the nut hutch and taking care of Joe and the doctor taking care of here, meaning go up to the window of the house and smush his nose up against the glass while looking inside. I'm like, look, any intimidation points you had went, Straight out the window that you're pushing your nose up against. <laughs> and then and then the worm just like, ooh, someone else, and attacks him. Is it weird that I was happy to see Benton? It feels like a minute <laughs> since the last time we saw Benton. Yeah, it's been a minute since we've seen Benton. This is also the first time you see Yates without his hat, I think. Yeah. I was like, ugh, Yates looks kind of like a dweeb. Uh, the Three Doctors was the last time we saw Benton. Damn, that was a while ago. Yeah, because we had Planet of the Daleks, Frontier in Space, Carnival of Monsters, and then Three Doctors. Which means it's also been longer since we've seen Yates. Because uh, <laughs> he was not in Three Doctors. Anyway, I think Secret Agent Man Yates is my favorite version of Yates. I, I would agree. I, I like that he was sent in this top secret espionage mission to infiltrate the company. And I like that he's fucking good at it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah because there's that moment where like the brigadier and the doctor call him to get information and uh benton's in like a cafeteria or something and there's like a security guard standing over him and he's able to like communicate with the doctor and the brigadier about uh, i can't find anything i'm under constant watch and all this through just like casual conversation yeah. lines it's a really good scene and yeah. yates is just chill as fuck during I, it i think one of my favorites is um it's like do you think you might be able to get away to get some files yates and he's like oh no it's i'm fine there's someone at my at my elbow all the time anytime i need something don't worry about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like oh, damn it okay <laughs> yeah I was kind of wondering because Stevens seems to like pick and choose who it is he's he uses the mind control device on. Is it just anyone who like questions his orders or something? Because I'm wondering why he doesn't use the mind control device on everyone. I know you need to like sit him, sit the person down and put the headphones on him. So it's not like the most efficient means, but maybe it's because they become like super not subtle when they're being controlled. Yeah. Like they're very much... They're very much like robots. Yeah, very much just like thousand yard stare, stock straight, and just like definitely controlled. You look at him and be like, ah, that person is being mind controlled by an evil megalomaniacal uh, robot. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Can we take a minute to talk about the master of disguise that is the doctor? <laughs> oh, fucking no. I literally watched the milkman scene like three times. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> because, so like the doctor's infiltrating the company and he comes in like a milk truck and he's got a mustache on, has this fucking Welsh accent yeah. and then goes inside, takes off the mustache and everything. I was like, 
there is no fucking way that was the doctor. And I watched it like three times. And I was like studying it. It was like, it kind of looks like him, but it kind of doesn't. Like, I don't believe it. There's no fucking way. No, it was. John Pertwee was actually, before he became the doctor, he was known for like his comedic voices. Like that was one of his shticks. Like he was, he was very much a British Robin Williams kind of, really? <laughs> kind of person. Yeah. He was very, wow. he was very much a slapstick uh, character actor before he took on the role of the doctor. And he, he had played so many roles like that, that when he, when they first uh, cast him and he was like, okay, so like what, what kind of shtick do you want me to do for this? And they're like, we don't want you to play a character. We just want you to be John Pertwee. And his response was, okay, great. Now who is that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, his, uh, his milkman, disguise and then his cleaning lady disguise it's <laughs> like Stunning. he like flags down yates and yates like sees him and manages to slip away from the guards and yates is just like standing and looking at him the doctor's like not one fucking word he's like <laughs> yates is like ladies first <laughs> oh that was something i was gonna bring up they're swearing in this story have we have we sworn before? There's one point where like pencil stash guy is like he's like damn it these are people's lives we're talking about. I was like I don't remember this show ever saying damn it. I don't remember it. I don't I I don't remember any other time. And then at one point I think in the next episode Cliff is like what the hell are you doing? I was like when did we start swearing? <laughs> Not that I care. I think it's cool, but when did we start doing that? I feel like we've probably said what the hell at some point. I don't know. This was the 70s, so, like, G-rating was a little bit more loosey-goosey. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, 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 I mean, it has to be, like, rare enough for me to notice it when it happens. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, damn is, like, grade school swearing. Yeah, sure. The doctor does not stub his toe and go, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I I do appreciate in the, in the scene where... Um, Joe and Jones are talking and Jones is trying to figure out some sort of cure for the for the infection that the ooze slash maggots are bringing. Um, And he's clearly like so enraptured in his work and Joe keeps talking to him and he's clearly annoyed. And Joe's realizing that he's only answering with, "Uh uh-huh, yes, yeah, uh uh-huh. And she's like, "Uh, I can even I can even make you some tea. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I can put some. How how do you like it? Uh, with with milk, with sugar? Yeah, sure. I can also put some cyanide in it for you if you'd like. Yes, yes, whatever, whatever works. <laughs> and then I fucking love this because she's like, okay, well, because they talked and he said that it would be great if he had a live specimen that would really help. And he keeps telling her to like go make coffee or whatever. And at one because he's not paying attention to her. She, like, writes down a note and puts it down next to him and then grabs a little cage and then leaves. <laughs> and um, then he's just like, Eureka, I think I've got it. And it's like, Joe? Joe? And then he picks up the note and says, gone to get you a maggot. Joe! <laughs> <laughs> that, that was really cute. That was really funny. It was, it was good. <laughs> yeah. It was at this point in the story where, A, Cliff is kind of an asshole. A little bit, yeah. 
and not unlike the doctor, I suppose. This is where I was like, okay, Joe's probably going to leave, but there's a chance that the that Jones is going to get mutated into a monster instead, and that would be fucking cool. <laughs> we didn't get it. We almost did. Almost. But, but man, wouldn't that have been cool? Wouldn't have been a great if they'd set it up like, yeah, this is Joe's exit episode, except when her love interest fucking dies. Yeah. Or turns into the antagonist. That would have been great. Yeah, he fucking dies, and then Joe is just like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but the the doctor manages to get the the key and uh, get up all the way to the top floor, at which point he meets the boss. And my note for the boss is, Mom, can we have great intelligence? No, we have the great intelligence at home. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, That's interesting that you say great intelligence because... There's a few points where, like, Boss talks to Stevens throughout the story or through, like, a computer screen or whatever. And part of me was like, I know it's not because Mac told me it's not, but this feels like a master episode. It doesn't help that the voice actor who's playing the boss kind of has the same vocal mannerisms as Roger Delgado. Yeah, because I thought that, too. I was like, that kind of sounds like Roger Delgado. Yeah. Did Mac lie to me? Is this a master episode? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought that a couple times. I was like, this this feels like the great intelligence if Roger Delgado was playing him. Did the producers for Doctor Who go to Roger Delgado's hospital room and be like, we're so sorry, read these lines real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Just from what we've learned of the BBC producers, I would not put them past that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's episode four. Episode five. The Doctor argues with Boss, and the computer explains it purposefully made itself irrational like humans because that is somehow more logical than logic itself, which is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Stevens appears, and he and Boss try to brainwash the Doctor, but it doesn't work. The Doctor convinces Boss to hold him hostage instead of killing him, and Boss agrees. The Doctor immediately escapes. How's that whole irrational thing working out, Boss? Joe and Cliff are trapped in a cave after a series of bombings, and she manages to radio the Brigadier for help. When the Doctor escapes, he and Benton make their way to the two and save them. Back at the hutch, Cliff has the same green stuff that killed the other miners. Yates appears, and he has been brainwashed by a boss to kill the Doctor. However, the Doctor manages to undo it with a blue crystal he got from that one planet. Yates and the Doctor form a plan to, for him to return back to Global Chemicals and use the crystal to unbrainwash everyone. But he is stopped by Stevens. Fuck, it kind of sounds like a lot happened in this episode. Yeah, yeah. This this is the episode, uh, I think, where I was just like, this, this story's got a lot going on, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the boss is short for Biomorphic Organizational System Supervisor. And if I know anything about uh, tech guys is that they made the name boss first. <laughs> and they just tried to come up with the words that fit. <laughs> like boss. reverse engineered it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, if I've known enough computer science people to be like, that is 100% what they did. <laughs> <laughs> but it literally goes on a small log about how, like, I used to be logical and uh, everything was rational and sensible. And then I found a logic beyond logic. Human irrationality. Okay, okay, okay. I actually kind of like it. Here's my thinking. Because it's not just that he's irrational. It's that 
the supercomputer of Boss is connected to another human consciousness, and that human consciousness is Stevens. The reason for it is because it's genre savviness. In every single sci-fi instance in which the enemy is a perfectly logical computer, how do they beat it? They beat it by basically overloading it with, like, illogic. Like, it's basically having two computers playing chess at the exact same level, and then the exact same game keeps happening over and over again. Adding a little bit of illogic gives it that chance to adapt and to think outside the box in which its programming normally wouldn't be able to work. That's my rationality and why I actually really, really liked that idea. <laughs> I, I like, I, I'm not necessarily opposed to it. I think uh, it might just be the way they explained it, because I felt like they were trying to say that it was trying to get what it lacked, which was human intuition. Right. A human's instinct for the right answer, not like a rationality. Because uh, even then, the doctor still beats it by giving it a paradox. It's like, oh, well, will you, would, you, will, would you believe me if I said the last thing I said is the truth when the thing I said before, that was a lie? And then he's like, hmm, yeah. I have to figure that out. And thinks about it so long, the doctor almost escapes. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something I really didn't like. Because I was like, okay, so the boss says he's upgraded to illogical logic. And then he says that he's infallible. That's a contradiction. Second of all, please tell me the doctor's not going to beat him with a can God make a boulder so big he can't lift it type bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and boy howdy, did that happen. But I do like that that didn't just like does not compute and make the computer blow up. It just gave him enough time to escape. <laughs> it's also at this point that like I don't know if I missed a part, but I was kind of confused on what Global Chemicals was actually trying to do. Were they trying to make the maggot infestation? Or were, were they just like, eh, that's that's just a risk. That's just something we can't have to deal with to make money. Yeah, it was a little unclear because it seemed like they were trying to do the maggot thing. But at one point, Boss talks about how they're going to have a perfect, perfectly ordered society because I guess they were going to do the mind control thing? Yeah, it's a little unclear. Yeah. But meanwhile, back at the ranch, Joe is trying to get a maggot, and she almost seems like she's being she's about to be stopped before she can go into the field to try and get one by Benton, because he like drives up and he's like, Nobody's allowed back there, miss. And she's like, Oh, well I'm I'm trying to find the doctor. Have you seen him? And he's like, I think he went up to the nut hutch. And he's like, Oh, okay, thanks, Benton. And it's like, have a good one, miss, and Benton drives off and just like Okay, and she just like keeps going. <laughs> I that was funny. Oh, Ben. <laughs> oh, Ben. You're you're so dumb and I love you. Then the professor comes along and fucking ruins everything and uh so much for her one woman crusade to get a maggot. But then they start bombing. They start bombing the field and they just kind of have this moment of like, "Quick, over there in that easy easily collapsible tunnel." <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just running away <laughs> that part really bothered me mostly because the fucking helicopter there's no way the helicopter guy didn't see them yeah because when they were like oh yes there's gonna be a bombing here i thought a plane was gonna go play and bomb the field but just a guy in a helicopter like lobbing bombs on the side yeah i like to think that he he looked down and was like oh is that joe grant Ugh, fuck that bitch 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I thought too. was like, there's no way it was on purpose. It was too close for it not to be. Yeah. He's like, ooh, extra points. <laughs> and uh, the boss showing off his illogical logic here because Stevens is like, okay, we need to go kill the doctor because he's clearly too much, too much of a thorn in our side. And then boss is like, no, we can use him. Make sure to take him hostage and bring him back here. I'm like, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Just kill him. Better men than you have tried this very line of thought. (laughs) This is the dumbest thing you could do. Just kill him. (laughs) This is a weird podcast where we really root for the doctor to die half the time. More often than not, like in, in serials like this, where like the good guy wins every time. More often than not, I kind of root for the villains because <laughs> it's rooting for the underdog at that point. Like, you know the good guy is going to win. Somebody humble this man. <laughs> and then uh, and then something I appreciate is the blue crystal was established in, like, episode one. Yes. When he when he got it from Metabilis 3, yeah. Became relevant. Yes. I thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, the episode where I really noticed the green screen shit. Because this is where the Doctor and Benton are driving through. Or, like, no. Yeah, well, because they, they drive up to save Joe. Yeah. And then in the next episode, they're driving to right, kill right. the magnets. They drive up to save Joe, and it's just, like, clearly just the car in a studio, and they're filming. I'm like, okay, but, like, you clearly had a set. Because you cut to it after you're done doing the green screen. So, whatever. Like, you had a location, rather. This is also the part where I was just like, just go around the maggots, Joe. Because they're in the cave. She's trying to radio the brigadier because the maggots kind of have her and Jones trapped. And like, just just hop over them. It's fine. You'll be fine. Just just go. Just go. You'll, you'll be fine. This is also the part where I like, so like, the doctor is driving up. I've got two thoughts. Uh, the doctor is driving up with Benton and... There appears to be, like, some sort of, like, plastic severed hand attached to Bessie. What the fuck I was that? I didn't notice that at all. I don't know Oh, yeah. On, on the windshield, there's, like, a hand holding, like, a horn thing. I'm like, what the fuck is that? I, no. I did, <laughs> I did not catch that one. <laughs> I'd go back and look, because I was, I, it was the only thing I could look at. I'm like, what the fuck is that thing? <laughs> I can't even, like, comprehend what it even does. Let alone why it's on the fucking windshield. Uh, two, the sonic screwdriver appeared, but at least it was a sound thing it did. Yeah, I have that exact note. At least he's <laughs> using the sonic screwdriver sonically. Because he just, like, puts it out and just, like, emits a really high-pitched noise, which causes all the maggots just going, like, in, in pain. And that gives Joe and Benton carrying Jones time to get back to bessie so i appreciate the sonic screwdriver doing sonic stuff yes and uh yeah i think that's all i have for this episode well i i have one other thing um or a couple things so when jones is like in bed and like running a fever because he's got he's got the green death he can't really speak much but he manages to put out one word serendipity that's what you choose as your one word? I would have gone with fungus myself, considering it's the fungus that's the cure. Fungus. Samples. Lab. Fungus is two syllables. Ser-ren-dip-it-t. 
T. That's five syllables. Like, come on, man. (laughs) Be more economic with your feedback. The cure is fungus is the same amount of syllables. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Fucking British people. God damn it. Yates comes in brainwashed and is ready to kill the doctor. And then he does the he does the crystal. And their plan is to send Yates back in as like a double undercover agent. Personally, I wouldn't put my faith in the guy that was just mind controlled to infiltrate the organization that mind controls people. It would be like immediately after Winter Soldier giving Bucky a mission to infiltrate Hydra. Maybe give him a couple days. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when the doctor is apparently a fucking master of disguise better than the master. You know what would have been amazing? (laughs) If the the mind-controlled Yates went went into global chemicals and they're like, I'm afraid you won't be able to fool us this time, Mr. Yates. And and Yates is just like, you're right. Yates can't. And he pulls off the mask and it's the doctor. (laughs) See, that would have been amazing. That would have been wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I'm done. All right, episode six. Benton finds an empty maggot shell, which shows the creatures are moving into their next form. The doctor also finds a maggot after eating dead after eating Cliff's fungus, and he realizes that is the way to permanently eradicate them. After purging most of the maggots, he and Benton are attacked by a giant fly. After killing it and coming back, he realizes how to cure Cliff. The doctor returns to boss and uses the crystal to free Stevens from the computer's control. He uses his last act to sacrifice himself and blow up the whole building with the boss. At a celebration party, Joe tells the doctor she is going with Cliff to the Amazon, and apparently getting married? What the fuck? The doctor leaves during the festivities and drives alone to his next adventure. I just kind of like my note of Yates is about to winter soldier the fuck out of unit. (laughs) (laughs) The doctor and Benton go out to drop the food, the, the fungus, out to try and kill the maggots. I'm just saying, if you can just casually drive alongside them at like five miles per hour and just kind of like fling food out the side maybe they were never that big of a threat to begin with (laughs) maybe you're all just a bunch of big babies they turn into dragonflies now i know that the maggot form was apparently bulletproof we have not tested bullets on the dragonfly form yet (laughs) (laughs) the dragonfly form dies to a paper bag yes it does (laughs) Because the dragonfly is like swooping down trying to get at it and um, the doctor like throws up the bag to like blind it and it goes, it comes crashing down. Brittany was in the room while we were, while I was watching it. We literally both at the exact same time said, now stomp on it. (laughs) (laughs) And then the doctor has this line of like, what a marvelous creature. And Ben's like, yeah, Yeah, sure. (laughs) Sure. I get it from Benton's perspective because my my wife is constantly trying to convince me that uh, tailless whip scorpions are adorable. Brittany, I know you're listening Brittany. to this. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not, Brittany. <laughs> it is at this point that she is listening to this and saying, but they got little hands. That's not better. <laughs> <laughs> they're not hands. <laughs> Those are called claws. And okay, so I don't know what it is. Maybe his, maybe it was his 
trying trying to mind meld with the doctor and it not working or whatever. I don't know what it is. Boss seems less maniacal because he's just like trying to like sing and trying to get Stevens to come to like sing along with him. And Stevens is like, we've got like a shit ton of we're trying to rule the world. OK, my schedule's kind of full. And then the boss is just kind of like, well, excuse me for having fun. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't understand because I felt like he was like reverting to like a childlike form. Kind of, yeah. That's that, I was like, what the fuck is happening? That's what it felt like. Like he was reverting to a childlike form, while still keeping that like smooth and let's face it, kind of sexy adult male voice. Like, yeah, that's kind of how it felt to me. That doesn't really go anywhere. It just kind of felt odd. Yeah, it was weird. Because, like, he's even trying to, like, write down some codes or something. And the boss is like, oh, fine. Blah, 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 blah. All work and no play. <laughs> so they go back. They go back to the Nut Hutch and Jones is, like, like green. is star- The glowing green is starting to spread along his neck and, and chest. And, um, and the doctor is trying to figure out what exactly it is that Jones means by serendipity. And Joe was like, what does serendipity mean? He's like, it means a happy accident. <laughs> and she just kind of smiles and said, I had an accident with Cliff in the lab. And I was like, and now I'm pregnant. <laughs> 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 but they, you know, figured out and they cure it. And uh, then the doctor reinfiltrates Global Chemicals. Global Chemicals guards fucking suck. Like, the doctors managed to infiltrate this compound, like, three or four times by now. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets in, and then he gets up to the top floor, and um, Stevens has the helmet on. And it's kind of cool where the boss is saying something, but the actor who plays Stevens is mouthing those words. It's It was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. The doctor's trying to get him to uh, to push to push boss out. And to to think of all the all the thousands of people whose lives you're going to ruin with with this, and you need to think about the good of humanity and uh, the future of of Earth and mankind. And I'm like trying to appeal to a CEO's sense of humanity and empathy, eh? Certainly an unconventional strategy. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that kind of like gets into like. Other than, like, something else that happens at the end of this episode. My biggest complaint about this story is I don't like Boss as a villain for this story. I think I would have rather the corporation just be evil and just not care. Yeah. Boss is certainly... He's got a a charisma to him. I like it. But... I would like Boss in a different story. Yeah. For this story and what we're doing, I would just like the corporation to just be evil. Yeah. And just not care. No, I'm with you on that. I do like that uh, he's trying to appeal to what tiny little shred of humanity this corporate CEO might have, but it's not really working. So the doctor's just like, all right, fine. I'll fight that hypnosis with this hypnosis. And he brings out the crystal. (laughs) That's when he starts the fighting it. And uh, he's pushing a whole bunch of buttons to like shut down boss and to blow up global chemicals. And boss is just like, telling Stevens and uh to not do that and is like trying to get his control back over but like he's starting but boss is starting to fade away and I was just like Daisy Daisy give me your answer do 
and then everything is hunky dory and Jones just kind of mentions the fact that he and Joe are going to get married, which comes as a complete shock to everyone, including Joe, including Joe. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, of course I'll marry you guy. I met two days ago. (sighs) What the fuck? Well, it's so unnecessary. It could have just been, she's infatuated and she wants something different and she leaves. And that, that was fine. That was great. Actually. Yeah. Like, like Joe and Cliff, they have chemistry. Like I totally buy Joe being into him and being like, I think I'm going to go in this, my, I'm going to go in this direction. Like I totally buy that getting married before you leave to, for your expedition into the Amazon. I'm not sure. Like, (sighs) Like, do you need a marriage license in order to get a a, a passport? Because I feel like you don't. Yeah. It, it, what the fuck? It was so unnecessary. Uh, and it took away from what was, for me, it took away from what was really a great ending. Mm-hmm. Because everything that happens after the her, her talking about getting married part, I think it's great character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I, ju- I, I, I was so just hung up on the fact that she was getting married. <laughs> Because, you know, everyone who, like, works with Jones and all the people at Unit, they're all like, Mazel tov, Hooray! And they, like, bust out the champagne and the wine. And uh, they hand the doctor a, a glass of wine. And uh, he's kind of he's kind of up against the wall while everyone else is partying in a crowd. And he's just, like, staring at his glass and just, like, downs it in one go. And then puts it on the table and walks out. And... Joe kind of looks back with like a like a forlorn kind of look and the doctor goes out to Bessie it's nighttime he's all alone and he fired he starts up his car and he drives away and there's just like a cut back to the party where everybody's having a really good time together and then it cuts back to like a wide shot of the doctor driving alone into the distance I'm like that's fucking good it's a really yeah. good ending <laughs> Just, I wish the fucking marriage wasn't part of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it was. It was a great moment. I feel like it's, uh, I can't really say it's the best ending since so-and-so left, because Vicky and Jamie had great endings. You mean you mean Victoria? Did I say Victoria? No, yeah. you, you said Vicky. I, I, said, I said Vicky, which I was getting confused with Mythmakers, right? Yeah. Man, I'm getting confused now. This is probably the best, like, most heartfelt ending for a specific companion since Victoria leaving. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, you know, I I did almost shed tears when Jamie left, but I think that was more because it was Jamie. But in terms of just, like, a good scene, yeah, I'm with you. Victoria was probably the last really good one. And before that was probably Barbara and Ian. Yeah, everyone else had weird endings beyond that. Yeah, Barbara and Ian had a great ending, if, like, unexpected and sudden. Yeah. Victoria's was also a little unexpected, but, like, the seeds were planted, Mm -hmm. and that scene is great because there's so much subtext. Yeah. And this scene had a lot of great subtext. Ben and Polly's exit was, it made sense. It was fine. It was just a little not handled great. It was a little fucking just disappear halfway through the goddamn story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and then come back for your exodus. Yeah, but yeah. This this was a very, it was a very good scene. Like, it almost kind of makes you mad, doesn't it? Doctor Who is clearly capable of doing these really good fucking scenes. So why don't we do so it? So why don't we do it more often? Why, we don't have to just have people sit standing around and 
talking. There was no dialogue in any of this. Mm-hmm. From the time that the doctor is handed a glass, some people are like doing background chatter and at one point they sing he's a jolly, jolly good fellow for some reason, but like there's no dialogue. It's all just acting and editing and shot composition and it's just good. It is. <sighs> What the fuck, Doctor Who? What the fuck, Doctor Who? Give me more of this. (laughs) Just do this all the time, and maybe I'd enjoy the show more consistently. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, shall we go to Goodbye, My Dear? Let's do it. Also, just a a reminder. This is the guy who co-wrote The Daemons and The Time Monster. Oh, God. (laughs) Holy shit. So this guy can write, too, and he just wants it. (laughs) Hey, anyway. So yeah, goodbye, my dear. I know when she was first introduced, you fucking hated Joe. I did. Would you say that she's grown on you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I kind of like that transition from like, I really don't like Joe to like growing on her. It's similar to the doctor's feelings on her because he also does not yeah, like Joe very similar, at first. Yeah. But it was kind of cool because it really felt like from episode to episode, you felt like the dynamic between them changed mm-hmm. in a positive direction. Yes. To the point where, like, he depended on her, and he knew she was capable of doing things. And yeah, besides two very strange lines in this episode, this was a really good send-off for her, I think. Yes. What were those two lines? Well, we're getting married. Of course I'll marry you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and the relationship between Doctor and Joe is probably one of my favorite companion relationships. It's up there with, like, Jamie, I'd say. Uh, just in terms of, like, the relationship. I, I definitely like Jamie a lot more than Joe. But but in terms of relationships, I think it's up there. It has a similar, like, dynamism to it. Yeah. So? I like that uh, she's a little dumb, but she knows she's a little dumb. So she's actively trying to learn and, like, gets to the point where she's, like, able to help the doctor with his science stuff and, and at some points. Because he's kind of teaching her stuff at the same time. One of the things I really love about Joe is, yeah, she knows she's dumb. She's also, like, not going to be told what to do. And she's definitely not going to be told to stand by yes. and wait for a man to do yeah, it. Yeah, I definitely like that as well. Aside from, like, a handful of episodes where I feel like she was badly written, uh, she pretty much just did whatever she wanted the whole time. Yeah, which was very, very much appreciated. Yeah, and she, like, she knows she's a, she's a little dumb. That being said, she's also like very much a people person like she can she gets on pretty much everyone's good side uh that she meets and is also just like fucking good with spy stuff like you need a lock picked you go to joe grant you need a you need a fucking prison infiltrated you go to joe grant like <laughs> i like that ex- that's that um savant aspect of her mm-hmm. yeah she she was she's a good one she'll definitely be missed favorite moment I'm going to let you go first. I need a moment to think about it. Okay. Even though it's from an episode that you absolutely fucking hate, my favorite moment comes from the Time Monster. When the Doctor and the Master are just, like, having this staring contest of who's going to do the Time Ram and which which TARDIS. And it's clear that the Master is winning and the Joe's just like, no, fuck this. And she she activates the switch to activate the Time Ram. And, like, knowing that she's about to sacrifice her own life to save the universe, like... That's that's fucking cool, man. (laughs) (laughs) But close second is just her child's play infiltration 
in the prison and sea devils. I love yeah, that scene. That's what I was going to say too. Cause I, that's the scene that really comes to mind for me. It's her just getting in there. And fucking, <laughs> and again, wearing that snazzy ass white suit with the purple accents and the purple turtleneck. She looked, that's probably my favorite Joe outfit. That should be another segment <laughs> in Goodbye, My Dear. What was your favorite outfit? Because I fucking love that one. <laughs> yeah, because if I remember correctly, that's like they're, they're in the prison and uh, the guards are like holding him at gunpoint. Is that the one where she just goes up and just takes the gun from the guard? Is that Sea Devils? I'm not sure. I th- no, that was um, that was the Mind of Evil. That's right. That was the Mind of Evil. I think that was one of my favorite moments because that was probably the moment I really started to like Joe. Yeah. Because she's held in prison because there was that prison riot. That's right. right. Yes. And the guards are like, everyone stay back. And she just walks up and just snatches it from them. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) We'll miss Uh, you, Joe Grant. We will. We will miss you, Joe. Okay. Trivia. So this is the last story to call individual episodes episodes. They are called parts from from now on. Oh. I don't know why they decided to do that, but they did. I mean, it makes more sense, I think, but... Yeah. (laughs) This probably explains why they had such good chemistry. Uh, The actor who plays Professor Jones, Stuart Bevan, uh, was Katie Manning's real-life boyfriend at the time. Oh. And uh, the director, Michael Bryant, was hesitant to cast Bevan because he was worried about, like, on-set ramifications. Because, like, between... Delgado's death and then Manny Manning deciding to leave John Pertwee was just kind of like upset on set in general and so Michael Bryant didn't really want to leave didn't want to add any sort of like complicated drama to the set but then Bevan auditioned for the role and he was like fuck (sighs) he's a perfect fit for this role god damn it (laughs) well I think that plays out really well too because I feel like you see all of that real life chemistry yeah. in all their scenes together. I think that absolutely paid off. According to uh, uh, writer Robert Sloman, uh, some of the maggot props were actually so effective and realistic that a lot of the crew just like avoided going anywhere near them, even when they were <laughs> being puppeteered. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's trivia. Final thoughts. I really like this episode. Despite some nitpicks about the overarching villain and their motivations, and how they're defeated. I think this episode has a really good pace. I think it moves along very well. It's, for the most part, a very good send-off for Joe. And it is just caked with subtext at the end. And I eat that shit up. Yeah. Yeah, I also really, really liked it. <laughs> this feels like such a backhanded compliment. But it was really well-paced for a six-parter. But actually, it was. <laughs> it was. And I, I like that Yates was actually given something to do. Other than just unit soldier number two. Yeah. I, I really liked it at the very beginning when the doctor was in Metabilis 3 and you got to see him just. You saw how miserable he was without someone by his side. And then by the end of this story, the person he was kind of banking on being by his side decides to leave. Like that kind of adds to it. It's mm-hmm. good. It's good writing. It's fucking good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Joe's exit could have been handled better in terms of like the married to a guy she met two days ago. Um, but at least she had chemistry with her person. Vicky, <coughs> the maggots were delightfully creepy. Just gross. I loved it. Yeah. Had little teeth. The Stevens and the boss were kind of weird. 
Like Stevens was a little boring and the boss felt like he could have worked in a different capacity, but it's fine. And then we also gushed enough about the ending that I, I don't need to reiterate anymore on that. Yeah. So yeah, it's almost certainly my favorite episode so far. Excellent. I'm glad. And this doctor, I I would not I would not say I like it more than no, Enemy of the World. No, we we have not we have not had anything top any of the more, any of the world yet. But thus far, I would call this the third. Do- I would call this the third Doctor's Enemy of the World. Yeah. In terms of a six episode mostly banger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the podcast, the best thing you can do is give us five stars and tell your friends about us. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you know, all the major podcast things. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram, at Quick Trip Podcast. You can also check out Mac's YouTube channel, Mac the Math, where they do insightful videos about video games. And join us next time on a quick trip through space and time, in which we meet the most iconic companion in Doctor Who, in The Time Warrior. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>